1: Hi, everyone. My name is Lori Hartwell, and I'm the host of Kidney Talk, and I'm very excited. I'm speaking to Dr. Kraus today. He's the Associate Chief Medical Officer of Fresenius Kidney Care. And, uh, you know, we've we've been Facebook friends for a while now, so I feel like I know you, uh, Dr. Kraus. And today we're going to be speaking about bacteria and viruses. I can't think of a more important and unexciting topic. Can you... I think we can make it exciting. Okay, let's make it exciting. So you know, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know the virus, but I want to really explain what is the difference between a bacteria and a virus because I think sometimes people get confused with that.
0: Oh, I think they absolutely confuse the the two all the time, and they're they're completely different and they work in different ways. Uh, we'll start with bacteria. Bacteria are actually single cell organisms so that they can live by themselves uh, and, they, and they're living, right? Uh, and that's a key difference versus a virus. So they they enter your body and they're in our body now because there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. So there's good bacteria in our body all the time, in our GI tract and on our skin and all over. Uh, but bad bacteria will enter our body through a pore and then find a place where it does well and it will replicate and live and that's how it causes infection. And it can cause more of a diffuse infection by the body's reaction to it or by putting poisons into our body. But these are just single-cell organisms that find a place to live and they attack generally a single organ.
1: Right. Well, and my my kidney failure, they suspect, was caused by E. coli bacteria. Right. Because I have hemolytic uremic syndrome just just, you know, case shut.
0: (laughs) Right. So the E. coli got in you and it it was happy and it grew and it put out poisons that caused the hemolytic uremic syndrome which then caused your kidneys to go down. It wasn't actually the bacteria that attacked your kidney. It was the hemolytic uremic syndrome. So, And that's completely different from viruses, right? Right. Viruses, uh, as you know, actually aren't alive. So people don't know that or don't think about it. They're they're just units of uh, RNA or DNA with uh Phospholipids on it and, and markers on it, so they can figure out a way to get into a cell. So they're, they're not living organisms. That's probably the first difference between a virus and a bacteria. They are really, really small. So you don't see them on a microscope, as opposed to a bacteria, which you can see in a microscope. And they work markedly different. They attach to, they attach to your cell, get into the cell, because our cells, that's how they communicate. They bring exocytosis, which is the way of bringing things into the cell in, in, in lipid bilayers. So these viruses are in these lipid viruses They look like they belong. They have a channel receptor on them that can attach to the cell, and then they'll enter the cell. And once they enter the cell, they either are RNA or DNA, but they find a way to reproduce, meaning they use the cell to make more of their RNA. Then they form the RNA into more viruses, and generally your body becomes a virus-making system. Okay. And, and so it's markedly different, and hence they can they affect the whole body, right? They they don't just affect like in COVID-19. It's not just affecting the lungs. It's affecting the heart. It's affecting the kidneys. It's affecting multiple organ sites directly, as well as the response to the virus.
1: Well, and... And so a flu is a virus, a cold is a virus, and COVID-19 is a virus. And, you know, I'm trying to think of any other viruses. But uh, CMB, cytomegalovirus. I'm trying to think. Of, I don't even know how to say that name. Yeah, no, but I am yes. yeah,
0: y- Yeah. Yeah. Measles, polio, AIDS, those are all viruses that people think about. And certainly influenza, which is the flu, and the common cold, which is a number of viruses, or all viruses.
1: And then then I'm going back to bacteria because, you know, we all hear about uh, hepatitis B and A and staph infections. Those are all bacterial infections, right? Well, he- he-
0: hepatitis actually is a virus. Oh,
1: is well. a virus. Yeah, duh. Uh,
0: yeah, it's a virus that generally affects the liver more than anything else. But the bacteria that we think of are like pneumococcal pneumonia. Why, why, we get the pneumo- pneumococcal shots when we get vaccines when we get older. Tuberculosis is, is an example of a, of a Bacteria, as is even tetanus and many forms of food poisoning, but you know, skin infections and urinary tract infections like Staph aureus or E. coli that we talked about earlier are also bacteria, so they you know they live everywhere, so they, there's a ton of them as well.
1: Well, and you know, when you think about like being on peritoneal dialysis, mm-hmm. um, I got I got a uh, You know, an infection one time, and that's a bacterial infection, that's not a virus, that's a bacteria that gets into the bloodstream. Like, when you get a catheter infection, it's, it can only be infected by a bacteria, not by a virus. (laughs)
0: And gen- yeah, and generally those bacteria are on your skin, and they get into a place where they cause problems, either your peritoneal cavity in the case of PD or your bloodstream. So, so that's why it's very important to clean things off very well before you do your dialysis, regardless of
1: how you do it. Well, and you know it's been interesting because people often confuse bacteria from viruses, and they think that an antibiotic will help a virus, and that is just not the case, right?
0: <laughs> it, it's not, and that's why when you go to the doctor and you've got a cold, he says, I got nothing I can give you that, you know, you can't, you know, antibiotics not going to help that, so antibiotics attack bacteria, and that's what they do.
1: Right, and it's getting smarter. I mean, bacteria are getting smarter all the time. Um, there was this great um, TED talk called How Bacteria Talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm like very interested in bacteria because I, you know, I had the E. coli bacteria. And uh, to simplify it was uh, basically, you know, bacteria get on your body or whatever. They reproduce, they reproduce. And then they decide... Um, that when they want to attack you, like there's enough to take on the host. Right. So it's really like a little warfare on your body. And then they attack, and hopefully, you know, you can survive. But um, antibiotics usually kill them. But if they don't, I mean, people have have succumbed to, you know, staph or, you know, different staph infections oh, that there were yes. super bugs. So uh, cuz we have we have to create the antibiotics to be ahead of this smart vi- smart bacteria. So what they did was they used sound waves. They jammed the communication really? system of the bacteria so that they couldn't talk to each other. And I thought, "Oh my god, that's the future of medicine is sound waves." And then they were trying to figure out how to how to improve the good bacteria Right. how, how you could, we could improve their communication skills so that they could then maybe fight some diseases.
0: Right, and there's even ways now where we're trying to figure out how to get the right bacteria with the right DNA in you for, like you said, fighting a disease in particular. It, it, there's a lot we don't understand. Right. right. And, and how we're going to stop them in the future is interesting uh, and maybe sound waves. I was unaware of that, to be honest. But, you know, it's finding that balance between good and bad bacteria, actually, that's very important.
1: Well, and you you, you solve one problem and cause another. Exactly. So, um, you know, that often happens. And, you know, I have my yogurt every morning because I want those little exactly. bacteria in my stomach to help me with all the medicine I take. <laughs>
0: and you want them to stay happy. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly.
1: I want my gut happy. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we have COVID-19 that's, you know, running rampant throughout the U.S. And, and, you know, I think it's important to explain what are some of the precautions and why with a virus, and then we can go the precautions for a bacteria.
0: Right, well, That's a good question and very timely. So it, it really turns out to be somewhat simple. And, and we'll start with the fact that I believe in masks and I believe in vaccines. So if somebody's listening doesn't, they're, they're not going to enjoy the next few minutes. But anyhow, you know, like I said, these viruses are RNA-packed in the, these lipid bilayers, which is fat, for lack of a better term. Uh, and so that's why soap and water works. It's just like cleaning your dishes. You know, you, you can see what happens to the fat in your dishes when you add soap to the water. And the same thing is true. When you wash your hands with soap and water... You literally are killing the bacteria because you're taking away their cell layers and they can't infect you then. So that's why the number one important thing to do is wash your hands and wash your hands often and wash your hands if you go out when you come back in. And if you're doing something that might get your hands dirty or if you're a place where you're concerned there might be virus or bacteria, washing your hands is probably the most important thing to do. And the next thing then is to stay healthy, right? So you want to take care of yourself. You want to get rest. You want to take care of the stress. I know you paint for that, and that's really <laughs> good for your immune system as well, right? So those right. are the things that you want to do. Uh, and you, you want to exercise. Make sure, and this is particularly hard in this time. You know, people are isolating, and they're afraid to go out. If you go out outside by yourself, that's perfectly fine, you know, find a safe time to go out in your neighborhood and, safe, and a safe place to go, and just 20 to 30 minutes of walking is an excellent exercise, it, it helps, frankly, with your immune system, but it also helps with your stress and, your, and all the depression and anxiety that goes on in these days, and then eventually, as, as we get better, and particularly with this vaccine, you know, with this virus, COVID-19, you... If the vaccine comes up and we prove that it's safe, get vaccinated. That's important not only for you, but for everybody around you, because it will take a certain percentage of us to get vaccinated to provide this, what we call herd immunity. So that's important as well. So just all the things our mothers told us when we were growing up, right? It's it's just common sense. uh, And that helps.
1: Well, and I think with a mask is what people don't understand is when I wear a mask, I'm protecting somebody else.
0: Oh, absolutely. So oh.
1: they think, you know, because if, if I have a mask on and you don't have a mask on, your germs can get on my body that I can touch. And then when I don't have a mask on, touch the germs and then touch my face and then I could get the virus.
0: Or e- even so, you know, if getting the virus, particularly let's talk about COVID-19 again, getting a virus is a matter of how much virus load you're exposed to and over what period of time. So that's why sitting in a restaurant with the airflow being bad, and if you're there for an hour, hour and a half, it doesn't take a lot of virus to get you ill. Or if somebody sneezes on you that has COVID-19 because they're not wearing a mask, that's a lot of viral load that can then potentially get you ill as well. So a mask does two things. One, if I have the disease, it prevents me from spreading it as much, right? Because we know, as I said, viruses are very small bacterias or not. So the virus can get through, but block some of it. And if I obviously cough or sneeze with the mask on, it's going to catch the bulk of that. So I won't spread it to others. Then you wearing the mask, if you don't have it, then reduces some of that flow as well. So it is a two-way street. The mask is mostly good for others, but it's also good for yourself. And it's important that we all wear masks when we can't
1: socially distance. Well, and, you know, when I wear a mask, it also prevents me from, like, touching my face. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you do reach up to touch your face, oh, you got a mask, you don't really, you don't really engage as much. It reminds you and uh, reminds you, you know, that, look, don't touch your hands to your face. I mean, that's the first message they tell you when you get a transplant, because if you can just learn not to touch your, your, your hands to your face, you can prevent a lot of, Problems with with exactly. your with uh, catching a virus. Um, we're we're coming into flu season too, so you know I'm I'm gonna get my flu shot. Um, uh, what's your thoughts on all the flu and pneumonia vaccine and? We still need to get them, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Let's start with the flu vaccine because it is time, right? The end of this month and the beginning of next month is probably when you want to get your flu vaccine. And, and it's for two reasons. One, obviously, you don't want to get the flu if you don't have to, right? Right. Uh, two, if we all get our flu vaccines, it will reduce the spread of the flu within the United States and reduce the disease state that the whole country has and the cost of it. And even as important or more important, I don't see the end of this COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus going away anytime soon. So now if I get influenza, I've got to differentiate between the two viruses, right? Is this COVID-19 is this influenza. Uh, Testing may take a time uh, and you want to get the right therapy and the right treatment. So if we can prevent or reduce influenza with vaccines, hands washing, and and frankly, even masks, uh, I think that will go a long way. And so it's very important that we get our flu vaccine this year just to reduce other risks. Then the other vaccines you talked about, pneumococcal. That's if you're over 65, because I tried to get mine at 60, and they said no, but if you're over 65, you should get two different types of pneumococcal vaccine, and those are for a particular bacteria strain called streptococcal pneumococcus, um, which causes a great deal of pneumonia that can be very morbid, meaning getting you very sick, so that's a good vaccine. Both of those are good to get. The shingles vaccine has been redone, is very effective now, and is recommended for everybody over 50. 50 years old, then, of course, the usual vaccines we get for our children's measles, mumps, and rubella.
1: Well, and shingles is a virus because, yeah. and, you know, my husband got shingles of the eye. Oh. Oh, God. And luckily, he went to a healthcare provider. Just he had a little bit of, like, discomfort, and he went there, and she nailed it. Like He got treatment so quickly and and it was kind of a stressful time. I was going through some health issues and he, um, you know, he was a little stressed out about me not doing so well. And so, you know, as you said, uh, finding some way to relieve stress and it helps you with your immune system and, um, you know... There's all these things available to us. I mean, one of my um, wonderful physicians, Stanley Jordan, who is the guru of kidney transplant, uh, and he, uh, you know, kind of created the desensitization protocol. And mm-hmm. he was my pediatric nephrologist. I mean, he had polio as a child, and he You're works right. with I a limp. And you know, I just think about anybody who's saying that. You know, and I'm so lucky that he survived polio because a lot of people didn't, as we all know. And he's this incredible innovator who saved hundreds of people's lives. I mean, thousands, I would say. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yep. Yeah.
1: And, um, and, you know, he's overcome it. But, you know, polio was a real, real issue for people. And people were in iron lungs. And people sometimes have a short memory that uh, I see some of these things running around like this is a hoax. And I'm like, no, this is just evolution of a virus. <laughs> Um, and so and, and they come after us because that's what they do <laughs> that's what they're they're meant to do
0: exactly right and, and they change and they're different and and that's why we can you know even after this pandemic's over the next one will be coming we just don't know when and, and we hope that the combination of infectivity meaning how easy it is to get the disease and then how dangerous the disease is uh, remains low and you know that's what separates our response polio was very infectious and very dangerous, right? And so that caught everybody's attention. And, you know, people voluntarily refrained from going out and doing things that, you know, those of us living today don't know what it was like to live when you were concerned that your child was going to get polio tomorrow.
1: Right. And, you know, people make this comment like, oh, I'm on lockdown. And I'm like, no, you're not, you're not stuck (laughs) in the dungeon. You know, it's kind of a fun, yeah, I'm on lockdown, you know, and fun, but we're really safe at home and we can go out, we can do a lot of things. I mean, it's not like we're, yeah, heck, everybody has Netflix. How better does it get with Netflix and Amazon Prime? (laughs) I mean, and air conditioning. I mean, you know, it's 108 out. What do we really plan on doing? But um, I think it's important to really, you know, have a, a good perspective of what, what's happening. Um, I want to talk a little bit about symptoms because when somebody has symptoms of, of, of a virus or, I mean, a bacteria, you would have redness. And maybe you could describe the different symptoms and, and you know, when are you contagious?
0: <laughs> right. Well, those, those are all hard questions and easy questions both, right? So let's, well, let's, t- let's talk with what's, what's on our minds, right? An influenza-like illness, which is what goes. Co- coronaviruses or the COVID-19 virus, uh, diseases, right? It's, it's an influenza-like illness. Generally starts with malaise, not feeling well, maybe some muscle aches and pains we call myalgias, a low-grade fever to a higher-grade fever, but it doesn't have to be very high. 99, 100 degrees is a symptom, right? Uh, then you develop runny nose and cough and some, maybe some GI symptoms with diarrhea, uh, and with this, this particular virus, you also lose the sense of taste and smell, which is interesting. We don't get that with a lot of viruses, and they think that's because it infects the area around where the nerves for taste and smell live. Uh, so fortunately it goes away and you get your taste and smell back, but it, it's a very unusual side effect of or effect of this virus. Um, and so the virus depends, you know, which organism is, is getting the most symptoms. So we get diarrhea symptoms are generally viral illnesses, right? Uh, you know, and coughs and colds and those symptoms are viral. Then you move to bacteria and, and it can be a skin infection, which is what you see, say, say around a, a surgical wound or even just a a puncture wound from working outside where you see what, what you talked about. You see redness and what we call erythema, but it may also get warm or should get warm as well. Generally, gets raised and swollen, uh, and those are the markers of a, a superficial infection that you can see. Um, you know, and then obviously pneumonia causes cough and the sputum production or, or coughing up, uh, green colored stuff and same things with the sinus infections. And generally, if they get bad enough, they also become associated with fevers, which can be quite high, 101 to 104 degrees. So they're, they're not subtle. And, and obviously they can cause other bad effects like your kidney disease or they can cause, you know, uh, what we call septic shock where the whole body just shuts down.
1: And also for me as a transplant patient, you know, I could have a fever, but I don't read a fever because my immunosuppressant drugs kind of suppress my body reacting. And so I might have a slight fever, but it's actually I'm sicker than (laughs) I actually am. And it's interesting because it's like my doctor, you know, my transplant doctor said that, like, you know, transplant patients, you know, we're immune suppressed. So what that means is we're suppressing our immune system from reacting to something. And sometimes that can be an infection. So you have to be a little extra cautious in knowing your body. And, you know, especially uh, when I get a a urinary tract infection, sometimes I don't have the traditional symptoms. So I have to really pay attention to, wow, I got to go get my urine checked because I might have one. And sometimes I do with no symptoms.
0: Right. And so, so it's a couple things. One, let's talk about just the end-stage renal disease patient, the patient on dialysis. They commonly have a very low temperature compared to the normal population. So the normal population is 98.6 degrees. It's uh, not uncommon for a dialysis patient to be 96 to 97 degrees at their baseline. So when you see a a temperature of 100, that's huge for them compared to a normal person. So it's good to know what your baseline is. And if you're always 96 degrees and you're up to 98, that's the sign of a fever for you. And that's a discussion you should be having with your doctor. So I always think about two degrees above your baseline is where you want to start thinking about it. And then the second thing is, like you said, these immunosuppressives that you use, they prevent you from responding to the infection. So you might not develop the fever. You might mask it. So, you have to look for other symptoms as well. So, yeah, it gets really tough.
1: Well, and, you know, for me, I had a situation where I had no fever till I was septic. Right. And and so, and I had no idea that I had any type of infection and it was, um, so, yeah, you have to be extra cautious. Uh, I want to jump back a little bit because, you know, when you're taking antibiotics and you know, how long are you uh, are you able to infect other people with a bacterial infection? I guess that would be my first question. And then with a the virus, um, you know, COVID nineteen, you can have it and infect people. That's that's the crazy thing about this virus that uh, right. people don't always understand.
0: Yeah, so the good thing about most bacteria is they're not. As infectious, I mean, it's harder to spread. Not all of them, but but most of them, you know, you get it because it entered your skin like from, uh, from, from entry port or surgery. And even pneumonias aren't that infectious, you know. But when you cough up, when you have a pneumonia that sputum is going to have a whole bunch of bacteria in it. So you can infect others that way. That's why it's important to wash your hands, right? Because you're going to touch something with the bacteria. And like you said, maybe touch your mouth or your nose, and that's how you'll get the bacteria in. But it's not quite as infectious in general, except for things like TB, but in general as the viruses, right? So the viruses are more infective because they're smaller. You can, they, they live in your respiratory droplets, You know, in the case of most of the lung viruses, which means when you breathe or when you eat, particularly when you eat, you can put a lot more of it into the air. And obviously, when you sneeze or cough, you put a ton of it in the air. Uh, So you can infect fairly quickly with one cough, right? Uh, And since they're so small, they live on respiratory droplets, they travel. So they become much more infective. Now, with the case of COVID-19, the answer to your question, is how long are you infective? is not really known.
1: That's a million-dollar question, right?
0: Yeah, we we suspect that most people are asymptomatic for one to two days before they start having symptoms, and the CDC tells us that that's when they're infective, and the first couple of days of the disease they're most infective. The recent guidelines suggest that maybe we're not as infective ten to fourteen days after you get the disease, but to be frank, we don't have enough studies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we know the the tests they do that we, you're hearing about on the news all the time is looking for just bits and pieces of the virus RNA. Right. So it's not really looking at the whole virus. So I may be coughing up bits and pieces of the virus RNA for two, three months, have a positive test, but not be infective. But again, those are things we really don't know. Those are things we think. So I like to put Great. it in categories of what I know and what I think. And that one's definitely in the think.
1: Well, yeah, we can always speculate, but until the science comes out in the studies... Right. In my opinion, you know, my my doctors always follow studies when they prescribe medicine, which exactly. I'm very grateful for because, you know, these studies show that, you know, there is a little risk of having yada, 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 but we think the benefits outweigh the risks and the studies exactly. show that. So, um, you know, I, I want to just switch a little bit, too, because I think some of our listeners are, you know, they're going to dialysis, they have to go to appointments, and uh, my doctor said something that was... Pretty, you know, made me feel good. I mean, we take the precautions to go get go to the lab or something like that. But actually, it's safer going to a medical facility than going to the store.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be. I, I kind of I have a couple things that I try, try to tell people to think about. Right. So first of all, don't go out if you don't need to, and that includes your doctor's appointment. Most of us today do telehealth. And if it's a good appointment and you don't need to be seen or touched, right, uh, a good telehealth appointment does meet the needs for most of our medical care. If we need labs, which clearly we do in transplant and dialysis, try to, if you're in home dialysis, let's, let's, we'll talk about home and transplant, you know, try to, I tell my patients to try to go first thing in the morning, right? Before anybody else is there. So you're going when the place is clean because it's been cleaned overnight. You're the first person in the room. You're wearing a mask. The phlebotomist is wearing a mask and you get in and get out as fast as possible. Most places, they say call when you're there and they'll call you to come back into the, the clinic when they're ready for you. So you're not sitting in a waiting room, which is important. Isolate, you know, stay good six feet away from other people. Always wear a mask, uh, and I suspect everybody else should be wearing a mask around you. Uh, in-center dialysis uh, is tougher, right? We've got to go to dialysis three times a week. I think we've done a very good job in this country of reducing the risk to our dialysis patients by enforcing very early on in most of our dialysis organizations the fact that everybody wears a mask.
1: Whether right. it's
0: a patient without symptoms or a nurse or a tech, everybody wears a mask. And then if you get symptoms or you've been exposed, we rapidly isolate you so that you're around other people that have either just been exposed, which is a, a lower risk, but certainly if you have symptoms, we want you to be isolated from the rest of the population so you don't spread the disease to others.
1: And, you know, I know that's really challenging for some of the patients that have sure. to go to a different facility and it's, you know, they might have to travel further and it's just excuse me, sucks. Oh,
0: but, um,
1: but, you know, I mean, it's we're going to get through this and you can't put everybody at risk. I mean, it, we're dealing with a very serious virus that we don't know whose number it can call. And but I, I have been encouraged a little bit about I've seen a lot of people who are on dialysis or have a transplant who've gotten COVID and survived and done fine. So, right. The
0: good news is most of us that get this virus will survive. Right. The bad news is a percentage of us won't. <laughs> so that's what we're, yeah, they were concerned about. It yeah, it's like the about. Russian
1: roulette. Who wants exactly. to play Russian roulette today? And, <laughs> and you know, um, I had this discussion with a neighbor, too. I'm like, the longer we cannot get it, the more science is going to know, the more therapeutics are out there right. to help combat it. Uh, if there is a surge going on in your area, you want to make sure you have a rested healthcare professional taking care of you, exactly. um, and you want you have space. I mean, I, I love this image that went around: is that okay? We're doing a little better. That means we have room in the ICU for you. You know, and it was <laughs> yeah. like, if you're the one who needs the vent, and I mean, just recently, they, they've they learned that to put people, if they have trouble breathing, on their stomach, as opposed to their back, to help people's survival. So, you know, we're learning and evolving, so the longer we can—you know, I wanted to say one quick thing, and I forgot about this when you spoke about it, but when we wash hands all the time, and I've been having this issue— You start to get hangnails. And I am so paranoid about any little cut on my hand. Right. That, and every transplant patient and dialysis patient should be paranoid too. Um, You need to cover, you need to put some, you know, neosporin on it and cover it because that's where you can get a bacterial infection. (laughs) So, uh, you know, Dr. Kraus, this was very informative. Um, uh, I think there's still always a lot of confusion about bacteria versus virus. And, you know, right now the virus is winning in the country and we need to knock him down a little bit and make sure that uh, uh, we do everything as the colder months arrive, it's going to get worse because viruses like cold weather, not hot weather. So um, any closing thoughts to share with people as we navigate this crazy world right now?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we talked a lot about staying healthy, which is important, but also let's not forget that we have to stay mentally healthy. Uh, And it gets really hard. Make sure you reach out, you know, even if we're isolating the good news about today's world, we have so, we have social media, we have, you know, FaceTime, we have ways to connect with our family that we didn't have in the past and you get to see your grandchildren grow up even if you don't get to see your grandchildren physically. So do the things every day that keep you healthy mentally as well. You know, reach out to your family, talk on the phone, make sure you have contacts and friends and, and people that You love and respect it. And if you're having problems, make sure somebody knows so they can help you get help.
1: Well, and you know, it's so important. I mean, RSN is offering um, two online support groups every month that Excellent. you can attend. We're doing a get creative because I'm a craft addict and I love arts and crafts. So every, I actually, every um, uh, uh, Friday of the month, we, uh, I think it's the third Friday, we get together and people get on and share about what they're doing creatively and we inspire each other. We have Excellent. cooking webinars and we have uh, exercise classes four times a day that you can get on for 30 minutes and join us and it's like some Pilates chair exercises so we're we're trying um people have to make an effort to um you know really do what they need I always say you know I need to figure out what I need before I need it and that has been a skill that I know even when I'm sick or going to go through something or have to have surgery, I always put an art project out that I can easily get to because if I have to go pull everything out when I don't feel well, <laughs> it's too much. I know that if I just have the stuff out in front of me, I'll get involved. And what what people don't understand about any type of art project or hobby is that you know, we feel out of control right now. And when you're doing some kind of gardening or craft project or cooking or whatever it is, you feel in control. And as human beings, we're happier when we feel like we're in control. So, um, you know, you got to figure out what those situations are.
0: I agree a hundred percent. You've got to got to be able to get yourself out of that bad place and into a good place. So watch a comedy. Don't, don't watch it's, anything dark. Exactly. Find out. You know, painting, reading, cooking are all great activities. Well,
1: well, me and my husband took an online comedy class a few months ago, <laughs> and um, it, I have to say I've never laughed so hard in my life. I am not yeah, going to perform anything on stage, but it was really fun to sit for an afternoon with people on Zoom and just write jokes. And then uh, you know, we did that as a distraction and um it's it's really fun. So you have to get creative and and there's so many things out there for us to engage in. I mean YouTube is endless. You can learn anything. So well, Dr. Krause, thank you so much for your time and expertise and sharing knowledge on viruses and bacteria. I think I understand a lot more and so do our listeners. So we'll just chat again and hopefully this will Very all good. be behind us.
0: Thank you, Laurie. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program
0: of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.